Good afternoon, Dave. Welcome, Luke. Um, we're sitting here in a sort of a special, could be a week, uh, recording with Chris Scholl from Deschutes, the technical director. Welcome, Chris. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And welcome. Extra content outside the ordinary. Yeah. Course. How lucky are our listeners? Bonus content, um, which is a first for us. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, uh, you're here for Good Beer Week, obviously. Yes, I am. Um, just go jump into it. What are your thoughts so far on Good Beer Week? I think it's been it's been really really great. Um, you know, I, I kind of equate this week um, to the Great American Beer Festival that uh, happens every year in, in Denver. Uh, but I, I think it's a bit more organized here, and uh, also I've um, been really impressed with the uh, kind of overall craft beer movement here in Australia. Um, kind of reminds me of where the U.S. was maybe ten years ago. Hmm. Cool. We're more organised. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> um, now you've uh, been with Deschutes for about a year. Is yeah, about a year and a half now. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, and you came over from Anheuser Busch. Yep. Which is such a, a strange yeah. word for us to say because we don't we don't ever hear it. AB and Biv. Let's yeah, AB and Biv. Um, <laughs> and you were there for a long time, weren't you? Yeah, I was there 16, 16 years. Yeah. What sort of things did you do while you were there? Uh, well, I started out with um, in a St. Louis brewery with Anheuser Busch. And I uh, was in multiple different roles, uh, all in um, yeah, production, basically, and then brewing. Um, was uh, a brewmaster in a couple breweries. I was the plant manager in the, uh, two of the breweries. Uh, finished out my career there as a global director of brewing and quality. And I had responsibility for uh, breweries in uh, China, Brazil, and Argentina. So there's about 74, 75 breweries there. So Wow. Yeah, it was just uh, one of those things. You know, I've always been passionate passionate about craft beer, um, a home brewer. I think I, I was always, you know, something that I wanted to get into. Um, so one thing about working for a big beer company, you hear a lot of uh, craft brewers, and a lot of them start out, um, a lot of them in home brewing or some some pretty, you know, having that passion for, for the craft and uh, getting into professional. So I don't think you, you hear about many uh, people that are, you know, kind of going from the big brewer to craft but um i guess i might be a little bit unique in that in that regards uh, but it was something i you know i really learned some great things with the uh, at anheuser-busch kind of the commitment to quality and um and i really wanted to take that and my love of craft beer and help the industry really grow cool uh, and you like that. acquire a certain level of skill set that you probably wouldn't get many other places so. yeah yeah i think i think the you know i don't know if kind of legendary stories about August Bush and you know he was really a detail-oriented guy so he would like I, I remember a story um, when I first started um, early on in my career at Anheuser-Busch I spent an entire week tasting um, the condensate off the kettle stacks and, and my whole and I had the most wicked headache um, <laughs> after doing that but um, the reason we're doing that is because if you ever taste kettle condensate, which most people have not, um, it's actually very harsh and bitter. Mm. And we found out that based on the different boils that you actually would have different harshness and the character on the kettle condensate. And so you want that kettle condensate to be really kind of harsh and bitter because that means it's not in a beer. And um, it was kind of amazing doing that over multiple brews for an entire week and seeing the variability that we had in that. So... So I think that's a great example of you know things that I've learned with that experience that most craft brewers aren't out there tasting their condensate wouldn't even think about you know that's just something to look after mm. but so it, it gave me a unique perspective now I can take take those kind of learnings back and and really apply it to the industry yeah that's a measure of consistency I've never even heard of so that's <laughs> that's great and it's something that we um, it's, uh, we've talked about on the on the podcast and, and on my site before about 
consistency with with brewers and um, you know getting flawed beers. There's a lot of flawed beers on the market, and you know, I'd be lying to say if there wasn't. Um, and sort of knowing that you know you guys are out there sort of pushing those sort of boundaries and, and sort of doing a bit of research on what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you, the five S's is something that you've you've employed there. Yep. Um, which is I'm not going to remember them now. Yeah. Hopefully you do. Uh, yes, yeah, it's just like the uh, it's an old um, process. Uh, kind of came out of Toyota. Uh, it's kind of lean lean manufacturing principles, but it, it's all about workplace organization and and efficiency. And uh, you guys will put me on the spot to try to remember. <laughs> um, but it's like uh, sustain, sort, um, shine. Um, yeah, I'm not going to. No, that's all right. We, we can, we, off my head. We'll put it in the show notes. Separate. 60 odd percent of the S's. That works for me. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's refreshing sort of reading up about it. Seeing that, that America's sort of leading the way and, and making sure that they're putting out craft beer that's also consistent. The other thing that I, I saw Deschutes are doing is a lot of community stuff as well. Right? Can you, can you elaborate? On, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So one of the, one of the things we do is that we uh, give back to the community, and it's a big part of um, who we are uh, as a company. And um, every year we basically give back, uh, you know, a dollar for every barrel of beer that we sell um, in the United States. So I, th- I believe last year we gave back roughly two hundred eighty-five thousand dollars. Um, to the local community. That's astonishing. So, yeah. So that's, you know, it's a big part of who we are. We, you know, we were, you know, beers, beers about community. It's about bringing people together. And our founder, uh, Gary Fish, who's still very active, uh, actively involved with the, with the business is, uh, you know, very committed to making sure that the company, you know, gives back to its employees, the community. And, and, uh, cause beer, beer is about, you know, is a social media, you know, mm. it's like the original social media. Yeah. Bringing people together. Yeah. The other thing, uh, sort of relating to giving back, um, I was reading today that you guys are putting a lot of water back into your the Deschutes River. You're named after that river, right? Um, which is also really exciting because you know the environment is a big issue. And um, yeah, is it, how, what sort of role does that play? Uh, it's a big thing. So we've last couple of years we really started on the sustainability initiative, and um, you know we talk we think about sustainability sustainability in a, a little bit different. You know, so a lot of people think about it like as environmental, which is a, a portion of of sustainability, but it's um, we we talk about people, planet, and profit. The three P's. Uh, remember those P's, but not the five S's. <laughs> but, uh, um, I guess those are more important. Um, so yeah, it's you know it's about giving back to your the community. Um, it's also about um, um, you know the planet, which is a lot of the sustainability measures. We we start tracking KPIs or key performance indicators in our process, and we're looking at our water usage every day. Our uh, electricity and power, net, you know, our heat usage. Um, so just just how efficient are we running the operation? And we set a benchmark and a goal that we want to improve every year. And we have some, you know, five-year, basically st- strategic plan on where we want to be. And so we report every year um, called um, through this report called the GRI report, and it's called the Global Reporting Initiative. It's kind of a, a standard reporting for uh, sustainability. And so every year we're sort of on a being held accountable because we said, okay, here's where we are and this is where we want to get to. And then each year we try to make progress towards those goals. So um, it's been, you know, quite fun actually to do that mm-hmm. and uh, really kind of aligns the company um, and, and trying to, to, you know, not only make great beer, but also have a minimal impact and positive impact to our um, environment and our community. I saw the report, or what, 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 probably the most recent report uh, on the website in the last few days, and it's really, really extensive. So um, it's, Something you need to take very, very seriously. Is that something you've 
honed coming from your like uh, more process managerial background or is it something they've been doing for years um i think you know i've i've had quite a bit of contribution especially with the um key performance indicators and those kind of things uh, i think as your as your operations scale up and you get bigger as a brewery um you know i think very early on when you're first starting out you're just trying to get beer out the door and keep keep your head above water and you know but once you start to get some stability in, in the business then you know efficiency and reliability and those kind of things start to take a little bit more center stage mm. and uh, i think that was a something that i was able to bring uh to deschutes from my background and um so establishing those kpis and, and and trying to tie really the you know the performance of the company to you know the financial sustainability goals and how those things are related to the day-to-day operation so um so yeah i think i think that my background has definitely helped uh you know it was in place already, but I think we just, you know, kind of took it to the next level. There's a bit of a um, the kind of divide between, you know, the big the big players and then the, the craft brewers. Was there any sort of reaction when you sort of, you know, jumped that divide? Did people were okay with it, or was there people, you know, wary of someone coming across or anything like that? Yeah, I think you know, understandably, um, you know, there was there's quite a bit of, I wouldn't say concern, but you know. You know, Deschutes obviously has a certain culture, as like every company does, and um, you know that's one thing Deschutes was very con- concerned about. Um, w- looking for a technical director, you know, they wanted to have somebody that had some broader experience that could help take Deschutes to the next level. Um, but at the same time, they wanted somebody that could assimilate into the culture and be be part of that, um, as well as for me. You know, it was a big thing for me to find the right company that that had the right mindset, that cared about the quality of the beer. Um, you know where they were going um, as a company. You know, has strategic vision because you know it was a big it was a big um, step for me personally to kind of live the leave the big you know company and the security of that and go into mm-hmm. a very small company. Uh, just in perspective, you know, we're probably going to do around four hundred thousand hectoliters uh, this year, and um, you know the uh, like the St. Louis brewery and just one brewery in Anheuser Busch, InBev. You know, they're doing like twenty. 20 million hectoliters you know yeah. so we'd probably spill more beer in a day than than we produce all year you know so so yeah it was um it was a big thing uh for everybody but i think it's it's been great and um uh, been uh Deschutes has been very welcoming and supportive of me you know i, I really like uh, where we are and where we're going so it's been quite fun certainly um i think people have responded to the beers since they landed in australia i think everyone's really excited to get Deschutes, given the reputation they have as well uh, as one of the sort of you know, top tier of the uh, American brewers. Well, that was one of the ones that everyone just lost their minds over when we heard that it was coming in. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Black Butte, I think, is the one that, you know, as soon as people hear about that, everyone's like, oh, great, we're finally getting it. Were you sort of aware of their beers, um, I guess, coming from that other side? Did you have that same um, impression? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I've been, you know, like, like I said, I've been always passionate about craft beer, so I've been following um, the craft beer industry probably as soon as back in college before i even started with anheuser-busch so was aware of uh, deschutes brewery i actually went up to portland on vacation in 2008 and it was shortly after they opened the uh, the portland pub there and i uh, had my first mere pond and black reporter and sitting in the brew pub going wow these are great beers and wouldn't it be great to work here someday or you know so you know fast forward 
you know, several years and, you know, the opportunity came up. And so I was just excited to, to jump on board and in the Pacific Northwest and uh, in Oregon where, where we're located, you know, it's just a, you know, kind of a hot, hot spot for craft beer right now. Mm. It's actually, you know, approaching 40% market share um, for craft and wow, that's in, in many areas. Huge, I think in yeah. Portland now out sells more craft beer than, uh, you know, Anheuser-Busch, Miller Coors, you know, the big guys. So, um, it's yeah, pretty amazing. I think amazing. I just read that. It went yeah. ahead for the first time. Released. Yeah, that's awesome. Because what's our figures here? Uh, I don't figures. think anyone's really, you know, put the def- definition around it because the whole yeah, what, true, is, what yeah. is craft um, right. debate comes into that, it. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe it's only about three or three four, or four taking away some of the, the players that might, you know, not be the craft. Yeah. Right. Hate, we hate using those those terms. Uh, yeah, there's so many United States, we call it craft and crafty. Yeah, yeah. So you have the craft beer, and then you have the crafty beer, which is the people that are trying to yep. be like craft, and they're not really craft, but come across as that. Um, I mean, the, the big players in Australia, I guess, still get involved in the scene really well, and they still support the scene. So it's probably, we've just started calling it good beer and, and bad beer. If we like it, it's good. If we don't, it's you know, right. it's bad. Makes, makes it easier, I think. <laughs> So you made that big jump. How, I guess, is your day, day-to-day life, is that much different now? You know, you're in a smaller company. Um, you're a global director, was it, the, the yeah, title? Yeah, so smaller salary, you would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little so, bit of a pay cut. So is it a, a lifestyle change for you? Um, yeah, it was definitely a lifestyle change. You know, it, um, you know, I was traveling a lot, obviously, in my previous roles, kind of settling down. You know, I love um, Bend, Oregon. It's a beautiful place. It's kind of a small mountain a ski town and... Uh, um, been great. The people are great there. Um, you know, I, I wasn't sure what to expect exactly, you know, going from a very large bureaucratic company to a very uh, much smaller company. And uh, to my surprise, though, it's, it's quite similar, like mm-hmm. the personalities and the positions, um, the, the relationships between different departments is quite similar. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, but at the end of the day, it, it didn't surprise me because you're dealing with people and, um, you know, people are you know the same basically. yeah the <laughs> same right and they, people want respect and want treated fairly and, and and appreciated and recognized for their hard work and i don't think that's much different um, um and, and then the process is you know largely the same it's just a matter of scale hmm. um but i will say that, you know some of the things i really like about smaller company and then something that i had to get used to is the fact that when you make you know kind of make recommendations or uh, uh decisions and direction you know, in, in my past life, you would have to, you know, talk to 40 different people and I would have to go, you know, all through this, you know, chain of command. And, and you know, it might take years or something to actually happen if anything happened at all. And here at the shoots, you know, I say, well, we should, you know, maybe we should look at this. And, and next thing you know, it's like, OK, let's go. I was like, whoa, really? <laughs> so you got to really be careful about what you ask for because and, and do your analysis because, mm-hmm. you, you know, it could happen. And, and the other thing you, you, is you don't have as much um, specialization. Like in a big company, I remember early days of Anheuser-Busch before InBev bought it, um, you know, we had a person that was just dedicated to hops. That was their entire job was to, to watch after hops. And we had a, a person that was just responsible for malt and, mm. and you had an engineering department. So if you had a question about anything specifically, it was, you know, you just, you said, oh, I'll call the hop guy or I'll, I'll call the malt guy and they'll, you know, they're the experts and they'll give me an answer. But now, you know, we're, we are as a, as a brewing team, the experts, and we have to kind of work together and be a little bit more entrepreneurial to get, get after some things. Hmm. What's your, um, what's your involvement in sort of the day to day brewing? Like, do you get involved in the recipe involvement or do you get involved in sort of the overall direction or how does that work as a technical director? 
Yeah, yeah, a little bit of everything. So as a technical director, I'm basically responsible for all the brewery operations for, for the company. Um, so our production brewery and then our, and our the brewing side of our two brew pubs. And, um, yeah, so quite a bit of strategic direction, you know, what we're doing. You know, we're doing a big uh, packaging line expansion. So we're looking at different options on where to go and, and working on, with, on the uh, uh, strategic planning team that we have and the senior manager, management team. Um, I also get involved quite a bit with recipes. You know, every week we have an experimental beer tasting meeting. Hmm. It's a tough job, you know, but um, where, um, you know, the president and CEO of our company, along with our brewmasters, myself, will sit around the room and taste a bunch of uh, experimental beers that we're working on and where we're going. So, you know, giving input there and how we're doing and direction. Um, also, a little bit about, you know, where we're going as a company in terms of beer. One thing we've always done at, at, at Deschutes is we bottle conditioned our, our dark beers, hmm. but there was some uh, hesitation issues in the past with bottle conditioning our uh, lighter beers like Mirror Pond and um, those kind of things. And, um, you know, it's one thing I've felt very strongly about is to making sure we can bottle condition all our beers because we've proven that there's quite a bit of quality improvement and taste and freshness when you bottle condition. Um, and so really working with the team to bring that. And so we rolled out pretty much all our beers are now 100% bottle condition, which has been a big quality improvement. So, mm. you know, just a couple of examples of things that, you know, I get involved with. And then the, the things I talked about before, like um, efficiencies and how we're doing uh, day-to-day operation, how, we're, how are we getting better, how are we making our sustainability goals, um, our efficiency goals, quality um, aspects, you know, when we're building a new packaging line, you know, giving a lot of suggestions and talking about where we should go strategically with um, our, our packaging operations and those kind of things. Yep. And you mentioned you're you know, making decisions where you go to in regards to beer. Where are you guys going? What are we, what are we going to expect for Deschutes in the next two years? So really we're, um, a big thing we're, we're trying to do right now is obviously we always want to have a, quite a bit of depth in our, our mainline um, beers in terms of improving the quality day-to-day. Um, we have a seasonal lineup that we have. We want to make sure that we have some um, beers sort of in the queue to to fill, you know, to keep things fresh and interesting. But a big focus has really been on our reserve series. So um, Abyss, the, the Dissident, or, or some beers that we do. We have a big sour program that we're kind of ramping up uh, yep. quite a bit. So we're doing some fun things with different kind of barrels. You know, we got some tequila barrels has been interesting trying to figure out what kind of style of beer really goes well with tequila mm. um and what yeah what have what, you found so far <laughs> you've piqued my curiosity yeah. yeah i think i think what we kind of found is we did we've done a lot of the uh test batches with it um the, the darker beers tend not to kind of cl- um, clash a little bit with the tequila but we found like the lighter sort of beers and if you can get some of that citrus light light sour mm. character and you know almost think like a margarita mm. if you, you can kind of get some of those lemony citrus characters and i think that kind of works well with the tequila barrels uh, i think we, we procured some cognac barrels so we're gonna do some fun stuff there um playing around with just the like abyss and maybe looking at it's about 28 percent barrel aged right now so what is a 100 percent barrel aged version you know, do we have a special release on that? That could be something that come, comes from us in the future. Hmm. So we're constantly playing around with that and trying to ramp up our, uh, our um, you know, breath in terms of our reserve because those are really popular. Hmm. The Abyss uh, I saw has just gone on sale today. Did you see that, yeah, Dave? Yeah, I saw a couple of those. Yeah, so, so I got to taste um, 
the local tap house is doing the uh, Mystery Cellar Dwellers this week, and that was the first one, I think it might yeah, have been. Yeah, it was 2013, I yeah, guess. I yeah, I got in and had a taste of that, and it was delicious. Mm. Yeah. I went there last night, and there was the Stone Tin Barrel Oh, that sounded pretty collaboration. awesome. Imperial Porter or something like that? Yeah, it was had avocado honey in it, which I'm assuming is honey made by bees that near avocados I, I don't know um, it was really dry though I don't know I don't know if I was a huge fan of it it was interesting oh, really? yeah, and okay. I, I like the idea of you know those reserve series and, and those things and it's great to see um, did you much, get much honey out of it no it was just that dryness from, from the honey I think because it was a big ABV wasn't it yeah I think it was nine, nine you have to use six. a lot of honey to get much out of that yeah anyway yeah, yeah. a little bit sidetracked yeah um, <laughs> so You've been here for a, a week almost. You've had quite a week. You've had six events in four days. Yeah, it's been quite fun. <laughs> How do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> a little tired, yeah. yeah. But um, but it's been good. It's uh, it's it's nice to see that you know um, what I found is the folks I've been talking to this week are very educated and um, passionate about beer and excited about where things are going. So mm. it's quite refreshing. So I you know I'm, I'm glad I came here. To the other thing. Um, um, that objective I wanted to accomplish while I was here in Australia is we just started importing our beers here hmm. um, uh, about six months ago, and uh, we found a great importer with experience in it. And uh, you know, we we have refrigerated um, containers coming over here, so because quality and freshness is really important. So I was just very curious on how our beers are holding up. And there's no no better way than going to the source and tasting their beers. Yeah. What do you think? And, and yeah, I've been very pleasantly surprised, and I'm very happy with the the quality of the beers and how well it's holding up here. So, yeah, I think uh, it, it's been been a great. Few of those yeah. brewmaster reserves across, I think, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in the future. Yeah. We um, I actually had a an interesting. I was looking at your bottling dates one time, um, and I looked at it and thought, oh, this beer's well past its, its best before date, and sort of thought, oh, you know, this is out of line and then I realised we date everything differently to the US system yeah, it so stupid when we so it was about it, yeah. I think well within you know two months <laughs> of the, the free best yeah. before date and yeah yeah so that's that's something we're we're working on as a company you know it's we've had several discussions as a senior management team on that so I know it's customary for mm. um, for Australia and a lot of other countries to have an expiration date that's typically a year after mm. packaging and, and most people think that if if the product is within a couple months of the expiration date that it's, you know, old and, you know, mm. and they don't want to be buying something that's near its expiration date. But what we typically do is we have generally have 120 days. Um, so the, the expiration date is only 120 days mm. after the, the packaging date. So when people see our beers, they think it's a year and it's actually, you know, only yeah. four months. So we're getting our beers here in about 40 days. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk right now about changing our, are labeling and dating on for export um, to kind of let people know when it was packaged on perhaps is yep. an idea that's been thrown on, thrown on. And the reason we, we have been sort of concerned about changing that is just there's a fear that if we don't put a poll date on that people will, you know, the beer will get old and no one will be watching it. But, mm. again, I think you have to trust your uh, – your your importers yeah and, you could probably yeah. have them have the, that on the label yeah and, and if people yeah. love our beers right you shouldn't have to worry about beers yeah. getting old right because <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna it's be gonna sold go yeah true enough yeah. Oh, in this case it was the, the actual format of the date as well through yeah, me yeah off. yeah uh, yeah, we, yeah we have to <laughs> yeah it's sometimes we have to think a little bit differently yeah. than, <laughs> than what we do and sometimes we do I felt so stupid when we yeah. found out what the actual explanation was yeah I felt like a bit of an idiot so I, I sat down to to write a review and 
thought, oh, no, I'm reviewing an out-of-date beer. And then I went, oh, hang on. So I made sure to sort of make that clear in the review that, yep, if you're looking at it and you think it's out-of-date, it's... Um, yeah. Um, and that, uh, I saw a, a short video on the Deschutes website of sort of a tasting, um, and it was sort of how you guys came about, you know, your dates mm-hmm. um, of, your, of your beers. So you sort of did a rigorous test and... Um, is that sort of a regular thing you do, or do you um, just sort of do it once for a beer and then let that be the date? Or no, we, we're constantly tasting our beer, and uh, you know that's one of the things we did with bottle conditioning. We did a lot of testing, um, compared beers that were bottle conditioned to those that weren't, and we went out to almost six months and past six months and tasted the beers like almost every every week. And then what we found is that very early on, as you would expect, the beers are very similar, but between like forty-five days and ninety days. There's quite a bit of separation that the bottle condition beers perform much better. So um, through that sensory analysis and, and tasting process, what we found was that um, bottle conditioning basically gives beer an extra 60 days. So um, hmm. it basically tastes 60 days fresher than if you did not bottle condition. So, um, and that was, it came up in, a, in some discussion at the brewery. It says, well, can we extend the shelf life of our beer now by 60 days since it tastes just as it's fresh, then it, it did it 120 days, but we said, no, you know what? This is, we're delivering quality, which is one of our core principles and core values as a company to deliver quality and honor our customers. So we said, you know what? We're, instead of changing the day, we're going to just make, you know, our, our consumers are going to have a much better well, experience consistently good product, yeah. with, with, that, with that product versus just extending the date out further. So, so that's just an example. You know, we, we have a taste panel every day uh, at the brewery. We have a, a group of trained tasters. And uh, we basically score or the attributes of every beer. So we have a certain profile that we agree upon for each beer. And then with which each tank that before we actually release it, we're tasting those tanks and, and scoring them on those attributes. And it does two things for us to make sure, A, we're staying consistent over time. But, B, you know, it's, you know beer is largely an ag- agricultural product. You know, malt changes, hops change over time. So you can add the same amount of hops, you know, from a weight perspective, but the actual floral characters or spicy characters may may change. So mm. um, tasting really kind of makes sure that, you know, do we need to make adjustments to our recipe based on, on those uh, attributes? And how often do you adjust your recipes, say, for your, your main range? Are they, you know, once a year it might get an adjustment or is it just by season? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a continual process. And um, we have a full-time sensory anal- analyst on staff and her job is really to to get the data from the tasters and analyze it and compare um, statistically to the performance over time to make sure that um, things aren't changing and she starts to see changes she'll bring those to you know the brewmasters and myself and then we'll we'll have a discussion about if we need to make an adjustment Um, the other thing she does is have a quarterly review where she'll look at you know the bitterness the floral character the sweetness of each of the beers and, and, and show the trends. Mm-hmm. So are we trending high? Are we trending low? Is a little bit. And then we can kind of decide as a, as a team whether or not we think we need to make an adjustment in our process to, to, to adjust for that. So hmm. It's very cool. Hmm. It's, um, yeah, I think it's, it's sort of a long way uh, from what a lot of Australian breweries are doing. There's some sort of getting to that level, and I think it sort of shows the level of consistency sort of you need to compete in the American market. Um, and I think it's... A lot more competitive, but I guess you'd have more of an insight than that. Um, particularly, you know, the area you guys are in, uh, you sort of seeing new breweries come up every day and compete with you guys. Yeah, I think it's you know the, the biggest advice I have for for um, for Australian craft brewers and uh, you know really for the, 
United States as well is just to stay focused on quality. Mm. Um, you know, consumers are really excited about craft beer and all the, the different flavors and the quality and willing to pay more for it. Mm. Um, the one thing that can can ruin the whole trend and and everything is just if we do if we lose sight of you know who we are and what we're trying to do and the passion and the, for the quality of the the product. So um, I think you know we can never one of our um, core principles is to do our best and next time do it better. Mm. And I think that's really how as a culture of our company is that we're never satisfied with the status quo and never satisfied with our beers. And you have to con- continue to to elevate your expectations. Um, so I think it's really important, you know, and I was saying, if, you know, if someone's looking to get in craft beer to, to make money there, you're entering the business for the wrong way, reason. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really hard to actually make money, um, making craft beer. If you look at the, the companies that have been most successful, they started out as home brewers and very passionate about the craft. Mm-hmm. They got into the business because of the love of the beer and they happened to make money because, you know, that, that, you know, translated into something exceptional in terms of the product that people really could get behind. Um, I think in the, in the early 90s, the mid-90s in the United States, uh, we had, you know, sort of a bubble. We had a lot of craft craft beer. We had a lot of people saying, hey, this is a great business to get into. Had no idea how to make beer. And uh, they, they put out a lot of, you know, a lot of crap, basically. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, consumers are savvy. They said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go from, you know, the mainline mainstream beer and I'm going to try a craft beer. And if the first beer I, I try it doesn't meet my expectations or if it's too variable, mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to the consistency that I can expect. So I think that's what happened in the, in the, in the, the nineties in the U S. And so it kind of, kind of peaked and then dropped off. And it, I think now it's much more sustainable because I think, um, you know, there is a focus on quality. People understand it. And those that kind of survived that first bubble burst, mm-hmm. um, has, have really been working hard to educate. And that's one of the things I want to do. Uh, again, another reason for getting into craft is is to kind of take everything I learned in my 16 years um, and, and try to apply the principles and then, you know, really invigorate uh, craft and making sure the quality is where it needs to be and help other brewers um, and reach out to them to, to provide assistance. So that's one thing we see in, in the U.S. and in Australia as well is that, um, you know, we're not like competing against each other. You know, we're still, the U.S. Um, craft beer market is about 8% of the total slice of the pie, if you will. Um, it's growing quite quite uh, 10 to 13% a year. Um, but, um, yeah, if we don't um, really work together as, as a community of craft brewers, it's hard to, um, you know, make, you know, get a bigger part of that pie, I guess. And sort of thinking about that bubble, the, it seems to be the breweries that made it through that and now the ones that we're seeing out in Australia and doing really well here, it, it sort of seems like there's a lot of lessons learned. Um, and the the big one is Sierra Nevada. Um, you know, they were one of the first to come over here. You know, start having a go at the Australian market. Um, and are you guys, you know, sort of on the back of that, we're seeing you guys and um, a few more others. Mm-hmm. Are you sending sort of more globally now? Or are you, um, you know, still focusing on on the states in Australia, or how, how's the expansion working for you guys now? Yeah, we're still very much focused on on the United States. We're only in about twenty five states right now, out of the fifty, and uh, so we're only in half half the United States. And uh, we got a lot of questions from our employees about, well, how come we're not, you know, we're not even on the east coast of the United States yet, and yet we're in Thailand, Singapore, Australia, Denmark, and and what 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 gives, you know, what's <laughs> and, and really uh, some of that was just the need because there's a lot of uh, 
beer coming over here in a gray market and it's not being taken care of properly and uh, you know it's old beer it's shipped over here warm and you know people don't know that right they just see it on the shelf they buy it and they take it and they're not having that extraordinary experience that we want for our fans so so a lot of that moving into some of these markets is really to make sure we're we're partnering with a with a good um importer that has the same commitment to quality that we do uh, making sure it's refrigerated the entire way and really that is is what we believe is really going to you know squash that gray market because people are going to start to be educated and say okay i know i need to buy it from these places it's legitimate it's fresh and it's good quality so that's one reason we got into it and also um you know there's there's some really great craft beer <laughs> consumers here you know mm-hmm. that want our beer and are excited about it so um why not i think good beer week's been a increasingly an example of how excited people are and um but it does you know the, the points you made about people paying a little bit more for something and then they find out it's not that good which which costs you know a, a lot of um breweries in the, the 90s that weren't putting out good beer right um it only, it only takes one doesn't it yeah 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 it only takes mm. one if, you, if that and that's your first beer and, and you know sometimes um the price prices will, will be pretty high particularly in australia um so yeah and it's it's a fear of mine you know we're going to lose customers because of that that lack of education or that, or that sort of the inconsistency as well right um there was an event held here on Tuesday. whatever day it was, Tuesday, uh, with one of our brewers, Hendo, who's a uh, brew cult, and he held an event that was showcasing the freshness of hops and faulted, well, not faulted beer, but mistreated beer. Skunked beer, beer yeah, and exactly. mistreated beer, right. yep. And um, some of the comments I heard from that were people, he, one of the examples he did was he had a uh, light-struck case of Heineken, and people that drank that thought that's what Heineken was. Yeah. That's, that was their impression of what Heineken was. So uh, they'd never tasted any different than that. So mm. um, that was just their impression of it. So yeah. that was a good educational piece, I believe. Yeah, that. and it, I think it is exciting to see brewers doing those kinds of things and, and you know what, what you guys are doing as well, um, making sure everything's consistent and, and good. Because exactly. at the end of the day, we win if we're getting good beer. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Exactly. So it's been a big week, as we mentioned before. So... Uh, you on Saturday night went to the Global Brewer face-off. How did that go? Because the premise of that was that it was going to be a sort of like a head-to-head. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, it was quite fun. Uh, we had a big, big crowd, and uh, it was a little rowdy. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it got to the point where it was great beers, and we had a lot of fun. It was a little round robin that we did. Um, it, the interesting thing is just you know we weren't tasting a lineup of pale ales or stouts. It was just sort of is this random is this, styles yeah. you know it was a pilsner versus a stout versus <laughs> so you know i don't know how you know and how did uh deschutes fare on the night we we, i think we made it to the second round we made it to the last round but uh didn't make it to the finals so who who won the um, finals do you remember uh, or did you just leave after you yeah forget <laughs> no yeah. no no um, smash the glass against the wall and left yeah, yeah i think it was one of our uh italian brewers that were were there okay yeah, cool, and, cool. Uh, from, uh, from folks Leo? from uh denmark um Hmm. So we we, we did a we did a collaboration beer um, yesterday with Hargraves Hill, hmm. and that was quite fun. So we did a um, IPA uh, with them. So that should be coming out here in a little while um, to be looking for that. Awesome. So uh, we used a combination of uh, um, Aussie hops with U.S. hops, a little combination of malts, and we also 
kind of took a process that's really hot right now called hop bursting in the United States, mm-hmm. where you really add a very late hop addition and try to really get a lot of those, um, you know, oils and floral characters. So, so that was quite fun. I've hop bursted one beer when I was home brewing, and the results were just really interesting. It took a lot more hops, but it's that, um, I guess, a smoother bitterness and, and right. yeah. Um, so is your is that whole beer hop bursted, or is there some bittering hops at the start, or how how have you done it? it well, I, I can talk a little bit too. Like um, that's one one things I think our fresh squeeze IPA yep. does really well is because it. Uh, well, we're not calling that hop bursting necessarily. It's basically what we're doing on that beer. So we get a big um, kind of that citrus floral kind of character from it we're using citron mosaic hops. Uh, we use nugget for bittering. Yep. Um, so we add we add some to the kettle, but then we have this process called. Uh, um, using a hot back, yep. and we do basically do a double pass through that. So we 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 use all Hocone hops yep. in our in our process too, which is a little bit unique. Um, we we think we you know the the hops are less processed. You retain a little bit more of those uh, the hop character um, through that. So we really load up the uh, hot back, and actually our maintenance manager came to me and was all nervous and. And scared because he's like, and we're gonna we're gonna break because it has a, a little rake that kind of rakes through the hops when you go through after the brew kettle. And he he thought the thing was gonna break because we're just <laughs> loading it up way too high. So we actually had to put a new shaft in there um, to beef it up a bit. And um, so not only do we one pass through there, but we actually come out of there and go through, take the hops out and put another load of hops and do another one. Uh. So as you were saying, what what it does though is, and we don't dry hop that beer. So by having those late hop addition, it, it you know basically gets a much um, smoother bitterness, I would say, versus having a, a dry hop beer. But at the same time, you retain that the hop, you know, floral hop citrus characters, and it's not quite as grassy as you would get, you know, in resiny that you you get from dry hopping. So um, I think when you do the hop bursting, it's very much the same. If you don't have a hop back, uh, what what brewers are doing is just putting an insane amount. And you pretty much have to add like ten times more hops to get the same mm. IBU level because you don't have the the utilization um, at the back end that you do if you put the hops in up front. But when you put the hops up front, you boil off all those um, hop oils and mm. you know those things that really you're trying to retain from an aroma standpoint. So it's a little bit of a give and take. So you have to you know use more hops, but you retain that that bitterness. Mm. And then if you dry hop, you can do it, but then you really get the the pure alpha acid is what's um, dissolving in the alcohol, yep. and that's um, much more resiny in character versus isomerizing the hops in the in the um, the boil in mm. the hot temperatures. Do you use uh, many Australian hops uh, in your any the Deschutes beers? Or yeah, we've been we've been playing around with some a few of them. We're always looking for new and interesting things. You know, I think we're um, uh, some of our our pub beers have been using a Galaxy hop. You know. Uh, we brewed at the collaboration with Hargrave's uh, Equinox, which yep. is a, a new hop that just came out. Hmm. I've not heard of that. Have you heard of that, Dave? No, neither have I. No. Yeah. yeah, so that one's, uh, I think we just got our hands on that, so that might be something that we might look at back in the States, too. Hmm. I think the uh, description on the Equinox was that it contains no harsh uh, flavor components, so we were thinking that's pretty interesting. Most yeah. hops, <laughs> when they come out and say, you know, it has, you know, pineapple or, you know, Strong tropical fruit, and this one says no negative taste attributes. Oh, like, <laughs> Sweet, okay. everything's this positive. What the, every brewer wants no <laughs> negative taste attributes. Um, what else has been on for you? A good beer week. You've had a couple of events. What stood out? 
Um, you know, we did that uh, Brewers and Chewers, the local tap oh, house yeah. here that last night. That was really fun. You know, we got got to meet a lot of people and uh, was well attended, good food. And, and people always really excited to yeah. talk to you there. Yeah, it was that. great. So um, I had a lot of fun with that. So, yeah, it's just been great. You know, people have been really excited about the beers that are here in uh, the week. And uh, it's really cool to see that happening here. In, in a little bit of my travels, my global travels, you know, I, I've seen craft really taken off. In a lot of different countries, in Brazil, you know, and in some of these countries, you know, the big guys have, you know, 75, 80% market share, and it's really hard for craft to get started. Mexico is, is a great example. Modelo, you know, has been a kind of a, almost a monopoly in beer there. And uh, we're starting to see some small craft brewers trying to make roads in, into the, the scene there. So I think it's a global phenomenon. I don't think it's just, you know, um, you know, it's it's not just a fad. I really think it's a direction and and a movement that's happening, and it's great to see it here in Australia. Um, and then even you know further behind where Australia is, there's other countries. Um, you know, Latin America, um, and uh, you know, I, I even think in like uh, Russia. You know, some of these other places where it's been pretty much you know standard beer. Mm. Uh, you're starting to see the. You know, I think social media has a, a big impact on that, mm. too. And people are coming into America and going to different countries and seeing, hey, there's more to beer than just, you know, light lagers, you know. Mm. So it's exciting times. That's cool. It's something yeah, I wouldn't know much about Deschutes or um, any any American breweries without social media and, and jumping on sort of trading forums and reading about beers that people are excited about there. And then, you know, it sort of builds buzz outside of your market. So, um, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Did you get on the train on the Puffing Billy? Did yeah, the Puffing Billy. That, that was cool. a fun. That yeah, when I heard yeah. that an event announced, that uh, sounded pretty interesting. To yeah. Me. yeah, that was probably the most uh, challenging beer dinner I ever had to do. Yeah. Um, Simon from Hargraves was uh, in the shoots were kind of sponsor. Um, I guess not sponsoring, but uh, presenting our beers at, at the event. And Hargraves bought brought their food, and they they actually have no kitchen there, so they had to figure out a way to get it from their their, their restaurant to the train and keep it warm and serve everybody and they did an outstanding job but then we there was four train um cars that we were on and we had to like walk between <laughs> car and it, this old train is like swaying back and <laughs> forth we're holding beers we're trying to talk it's loud and i was like for a little bit there i thought i was gonna get quite ill you know so, <laughs> but we, we made it through all right and we figured out when it when it stopped was the time to go talk about the beers yeah. and instead of trying to to do this you know the staff was trying to serve the food we're in the middle of the way it was just it was crazy but it was a lot of fun yeah it's good fun um, really nice out there i've never done puffing billy but um i've been to the pub out there oscar's ale house and yeah it's just a really beautiful spot for a for a good. beer and also agro's hill is a really nice spot as well so mm. yeah it's mm. cool um i don't have any any more questions dave are you yeah Run dry, yeah. Did you have You'll anything? Be you want? Gabs, is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stands. Yep. Cool. We'll what? be there Wednesday, or I'm sorry, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and afternoon session. I'll be there. Yeah. Cool. That's great. So I'm hoping to get this out at some point before the weekend, given you know everything. So hopefully, people can uh, check you out at Gabs. Come and say hi. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Look forward to it. Anything you wanted to add about beer or, or the shoots or anything in general? No, like I said, I just think uh, you know. Quality, quality, quality. Just can't, you know, I can't stress that enough. It's uh, been part of my DNA in brewing for you know, coming up on 20 years. And I, I think as long as the industry um, stays on that um, message, I think uh, it's going to be successful. And, and we're going to see continued uh, growth and, and you know, raving fans into the future. Mm. Cool. What Great. a good, good night to finish on. Thanks a lot for joining yeah. us. Thanks, thanks. thanks for having and, me. And um, thanks to Experience at uh, your distributor for uh, jacking it all up.
Absolutely. Cool. Beautiful. Cheers, guys. Bye. Cheers.